let's not just like be name only, but could we like be real deal, authentic followers of Jesus Christ with signs and wonders that follow and, and where a world gets to see something different? And we're, th- this isn't, this isn't a, an us versus them thing. This isn't just a, you know, all the, the, the things that are going on that are dividing. This isn't about that. It's about us standing up with authentic love, to actually, and you're going to see as we talk today about this story in Acts 9, God calls us to actually genuinely love people that um, are different from us, that um, we're afraid of, that we, that we hate. Actually, we're not supposed to hate, but right? You're supposed to love those that, that you hate or that hate you. And it's, a, and it's an incredible, tangible, powerful force of love that's going to shift things in this nation. It's going to shift things in your life, in your family, in your marriage. And uh, so why not start it today? I'm, I'm excited about the future of this church and the future of this city and the future of America. Really am. I think, I think the best is yet to come. How about that? Cool. Sounds like you believe me. Hey, we are in a series right now. We've got a few more weeks in it. Um, just in the book of Acts, it is uh, called Spirit-Empowered Stories in the Book of Acts. And we just handpicked some stories as we're walking through Acts that talk about Spirit-Empowered. What's it mean to be a man or woman of God that's empowered by the Spirit? In fact, the thought is this, and it's kind of a bold thought, and we're not shooting at anybody. We're not, we're not making anybody feel bad or anything like this, but I believe this is sourced in the Scripture. And the series thought over, this, over the whole course of the series is this. God's assignment for my life will never fully be completed if I'm not empowered by the Holy Spirit. There'll, there'll be, uh, you'll, you'll do some good things and, and you'll have your ticket to heaven and, and, there, and you'll, you'll make a mark and you'll do some things and, and people will get saved. And be, but, but the fullness of everything that God's called you to be and do, the fullness that God's called this church to be and do and the, and the things that we're supposed to accomplish in this city and this nation and our families, it will never truly fully come to everything God's wanted it and, and dreamed it and desired it to be without people that are spirit empowered. And it's just, I believe it's just a fact. And that's what we preach here at this church. Um, our series text comes from the first chapter of the book of Acts as we launched into this series. And, it, and it's uh, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, and it says this, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is, was Jesus talking to his disciples. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And we started off this whole series in Acts 1 with an intro to, uh, to Spirit Empowered. And we said that there was, a, there was importance in Jesus' word that says wait. They, they could have taken everything they learned from Jesus and, and all of the time they spent with him. And they could have just gone off and done it themselves. Thanks, Jesus. Now, now, now we got it. You taught, us, you taught us how to preach. You taught us how to do all these things. And now we got it from here. But Jesus said, wait. He said, wait. Wait here in Jerusalem until you receive power. There was, some, uh, there was something that Jesus knew that they hadn't quite figured out yet, that they would have to be empowered from on high, that they would be able to, to actually walk out everything that God wanted them to walk out, to, to leave Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and go to the ends of the earth with the gospel of salvation. And it couldn't just be an intellectual transaction. It had to be spirit-empowered. So that was week one and week two. We talked about the significance of Pentecost. And, and what we found here, the main thought that came out of that message was that God's power in our life does amazing supernatural things. But at the foundation, his power is for salvation and righteousness. Man, I, if, you know, if you know me, you know I'm all about signs, wonders, and miracles. I, I call it the whiz-bang God candy stuff. I'm all about the, the, the goosebumps, your hair rising on the back of your head and your arms, and just be like, man, the, the God just came in the room. I just felt something. I'm all about that. I love that stuff. But as I was researching and studying and praying through the book of Acts, I started realizing that, that the, the foundational purposes of all this wasn't just so there'd be another sign and wonder, but the purpose of, of the outpouring even in Acts 2 was for salvation and for righteousness. 
And then all of these signs and wonders, the, the, it's like when you see a sign on the, on the side of the road. Like you don't stop and, and like, be, you know, it was Carney ahead 10 miles and you stop at the sign and say, we arrived. <laughs> we arrived. And, and, you, and, and you, you like make, put some candles out and you sit there and you're just like, yes, we got to the, the, the sign. And everyone, no, like the sign is supposed to point you. To the place that you're going, all of the signs and wonders in the, in the, uh, the book of Acts and all throughout the, the New Testament, they pointed to a Savior. And we're, and we're going after those things. We want the, the supernatural. We want all that. But we want the, the giver of the gifts, not just the gifts. Does that make sense? And, and you, don't, you don't go one without the other. It's both sides of the coin. But sometimes in, our, uh, in, in the, the, the Pentecostal charismatic expression that I grew up in, sometimes I overemphasize the gifts and, and forget about the giver. And then there's other people in other expressions they grow up in, and they over, overemphasize the giver and forget about the gifts. And can we just do both? Can we have both? And that's what we want. That was, that, that was week two. Week three, we talked about um, uh, all about it getting closer. And there was the story of um, uh, the, the, the crippled man at the gate, beautiful. And we realized that part of the reason he was sitting outside the gate was because, because of his condition, he wasn't allowed to get anywhere closer to the temple. And so the miracle that happened as Peter and John um, said, said, silver and gold we, we don't have, but what we do have we give to you. The miracle that happened in him as he stood up and he was made whole was that he, you see him then worshiping and praising God inside the, the gates and going towards it. Like he was now able to get closer. And we see this whole deal of, of even the miracles and the, the presence of the Lord and all the stuff that we see in the book of Acts. It's, it's designed for us to get closer to him. It's designed for intimacy. It's designed for love. We see that happening in, in Acts 3. And then Acts 4 was kind of a continuation of the story in Acts 3 and then the result of Acts 3. In Acts 4, we, we saw this, that, that now Peter and John, man, all they wanted to do was just you know, obey God and heal a crippled man. And all of a sudden, it was craziness. There, there was, uh, now the Bible says at this point, there were 5,000 people that had, um, and they were only counting men. They weren't counting women and children. There were probably uh, over 20,000 people at this point as a result of the crippled man, as a result of the Acts 2 outpouring. There's probably over 20,000, could be way more, that were now followers of Jesus or followers of the way. And now Peter and John are arrested because the Sanhedrin doesn't know what to do with these guys. They arrest them, put them in jail overnight, and they'll deal with them the next day. They brought them before the whole Sanhedrin. And they, they're, explain this whole thing to me. What's going on? And long story short is that, that finally the Sanhedrin, they really don't have anything to hold them on. And so they just say this, don't ever speak about Jesus in this name ever again. Because if you do, it's going to go bad for you. And Peter and John just said, okay. No. No, they, they look right at him. They said, what would be better for us to obey you or to obey God? And in other words, they said, bring it. They said, bring it. And they leave that place, probably didn't make the Sanhedrin too happy, and they go back to their friends. And the Bible says they go back to their friends. Their, their friends hear the whole story of what happened with them in the Sanhedrin and the ultimatum that was given to them that you, you either obey us or else. And in that place, in that house, the power of God actually shook the house where they were at. I mean, it was an incredible encounter with all of their, the believers there. And they all together said, instead of, Lord, save us from all this persecution, protect us from all this, they said, strengthen us and give us boldness so that we could do what Peter and John just did before the Sanhedrin. And so that week, we talked about the evidence of boldness and how uh, it, there's all kinds of, of evidences of being filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of it. But as I look in the Bible, one of the evidences of being baptized and filled with the Spirit is boldness. Is you somehow supernaturally, beyond your personality, beyond your gift set, beyond all of this stuff that, that you know, somehow supernaturally you're able to like actually do what God's calling you to do and go before people that God's calling you to go before and actually say things that you, you're like, how did that come out of me? I never, like, I'm, I'm just this quiet little, like, how could, I'm not like Pastor Jonathan. I don't like get up in front of people. I can't do, and all of a sudden, the, part of the evidence 
of being filled with the Spirit is that there's this supernatural boldness to talk to your coworker, to talk to your family member that it's hard to talk to. Well, we, we just don't bring up church and politics. And yet this spirit of boldness comes over you and you're able to say things that you're like, I don't even know where those, I'm not even smart enough to think of that. And it just comes out. It just comes out. And so then week five, um, I wasn't here, so. <laughs> week five, uh, uh, Pastor Bo took it and and he, he did an amazing job as I went back and listened to, to his message. And he talked about um, some of the, the foundation. How do I walk in a lifestyle? More than just like bumping into supernatural stuff here and there. More than just every once in a while feeling like God kissed the service or, or I, I felt something. How, do, how does it become like, uh, in, in my terms, like I call it like a landing pad for the supernatural. How does it become like that? And, and Bo laid a foundation saying, you know, consistent prayer consistent fasting and consistent time in his word that as I'm consistent in those things it, it like I'm aware I am more aware of what God's doing in any given moment in any given environment and it sets me up for supernatural encounters and then um, and then Gay Tillotson did an amazing job uh, she's actually running media for us today. Thank you so much. That's incredible. Uh, and she, uh, she did an amazing job. She, she called it uh, um, Holy Spirit 101 and talked about the, the story in, in Acts 7 and into Acts 8 of, of Stephen and some of the, those, those first uh, deacons that, that were, they laid hands on. And, and the qualification of those first deacons was um, people that were known to be full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that incredible? And the thing that she brought out as I was listening to her was uh, all of us. If Stephen can do it, I can do it. Right? If, uh, it, he wasn't a, an apostle. He wasn't a, a pastor, prophet, evangelist. He wasn't any of those. He, he, was, he was just Stephen. He was just known to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so, and so none of us are left, left off the hook. <laughs> we, we all get to be part of this thing. You've got the full meal deal. I like how it comes out of Bethel, so that thought that says, that says that God doesn't hand out junior Holy Spirits. And she just hit it out of the park, talking about that you and I all have a responsibility, that this isn't for the elite of the elite. This is for the body of Christ. And then Pastor Kelly talked about being empowered by the source as he looked at the story of Philip. In, uh, in Acts chapter 8, and uh, he was with the, uh, Simon the sorcerer, and he was with uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, and all of this stuff, and, and he touched on the, the early persecution of the church, and we found that the, uh, the Holy Spirit is unstoppable, he's genuine, and he's truth. Isn't that incredible? So today, if, you have, if this is your first time with us, you, you just got caught up, and now... We're heading into a message that I'm entitling Unwavering Obedience. Unwavering Obedience. And the main thought today is this. Spirit-empowered people are marked by unwavering obedience. Can you hand me that? Spirit-empowered people are marked by unwavering obedience. It's Acts, uh, Acts chapter 8. Where Gay was at, right there at the beginning in, in verse 3. Oh, I'm sorry. That was where, um, I don't remember. I don't, Kelly was at. Um, and, uh, and right at the beginning, it says this in verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women committing them to, pri to prison. And so we, we, we see Saul coming on the scene right at the end of, of Acts chapter 7, right at the beginning of Acts chapter 8. And, and Saul, uh, I mean, we like Saul because we read about all of the letters that he wrote. He wrote like half the New Testament and all this. But we start to see some of the background of Saul. And, and, with, and Saul, he's also called Paul, but here he's called Saul. And we see Saul was a Hebrew name. And this was what he would have been known as far as in his Jewish roots and, and around Jerusalem and all that. And then to the Gentile world, to the, to the Roman world, he would have been called Paul. And it was just, that, that, was just, that was the reason for Saul and Paul. 
And so Saul, um, he, was, he was there when, uh, when Stephen was stoned. He, he was, must have been in some official capacity. He could have even been uh, part of the Sanhedrin, or at least he was uh, licensed and given a delegated authority by them. But he was there in some sort of a dele- uh, uh, delegated authority or some sort of an authority capacity approving of Stephen being stoned to death. And Stephen would have, he would have been on top of this, this uh, um, flat stone surface. Uh, he would have been sitting, standing probably higher than everybody else, probably like six feet in the air or whatever. And they would have, they would have thrown the first stone at him. And he would have, um, he would have if, he didn't, if he wouldn't die, they would have uh, kicked him off of that ledge and hoped that he would die as he like fell and hit his skull on the ground. And if he didn't die, they would have brought a heavier stone and they would have dropped it right on his chest and hoped that he would die by suffocation or whatever. And if he hadn't died then, the whole group would have grabbed stones and finished off the process. And Saul is standing there. And this wasn't an illegal thing. It was wrong. But it was officially sanctioned by the Sanhedrin. And, and as we heard even a, a few weeks ago, you find that, uh, that the Roman law was that, it was that the, the Sanhedrin, the Jews, could, uh, could, um, could really rule their own people. That all of the, the Jewish law and all that, they could, they could rule, they could officiate that, they could, uh, they could arrest people. The only thing that the Jewish authority couldn't do was capital punishment unless it was sanctioned by, by Rome. And so you see here a, just a legal act. It was wrong, but it was legal. And, and, they, and these um, religious authorities like Paul thought that they were doing the right thing. They thought that they were weeding out this, um, this uh, heretic, heretical like, sect of Judaism in the name of God. Just an incredible thing, an incredible scene that we have here. And so, and so we, we see here, then we move on to um, Acts chapter 9. And it says, then Saul... In verse 1, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Sorry, I'm back on. And so what we see here is this, is that uh, he's, he's on his way, he's getting an official approval from the high priest to go on his way to Damascus to arrest uh, followers of Jesus and to throw them in prison. Some of them would, would be killed, like Stoven, uh, Stephen, the, the first martyr. And so uh, you've got these men that are traveling with Saul, and they're on this journey now to arrest followers of the way. And you notice I didn't say um, Christians. Because uh, Christians wasn't even, a Christian wasn't even a word yet. It wasn't even, it wasn't even coined yet. The, these were followers of Jesus. They were followers of the way. And this wasn't a, a Jew versus Christian thing. Uh, oftentimes, as we think about it in our, in our Gentile minds, we think that they're, that they're against uh, Gentiles, that they're against Christians. But this was, uh, that, you remember when we talked about a few weeks ago about the different sects of Judaism, that there were three main ones. You had uh, the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees, you had the Essenes. Well, now this new sect of Judaism was rising up with people that followed the teachings of Jesus. And they believed in the cross and they believed in the power of the resurrection and, and they believed in all of this stuff and now the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. And they were still Jews. They were, that, that was still the, the root of their faith. They were, so there was this sect rising up and, and this was dangerous for the Sanhedrin because if everything that they were saying was true about Jesus, then that meant they were wrong. And that meant everything that they believed, all the foundations of what they believed uh, would have to be uh, shifted. And so that's where we're at here as they're going after followers of the way. Followers of the way were, were, were Jews. And um, we see this progression that we talked about in the book of Acts. And everything leads up to this moment. All of this persecution started happening right after Peter and John. They were before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. And after this, you, you see Stephen 
You see uh, the apostles being persecuted. You see uh, uh, the martyrs and all this stuff started happening, people being arrested, and this was the norm. And so, so Saul is on his way to Damascus. And as he journeyed in verse 3, he, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Just an incredible scene here. He's probably riding a horse. He's with his friends. And this blinding light comes. And out of it, this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so, uh, one, we just see here that, that when people persecute um, followers of Jesus, they're persecuting him personally. Jesus takes it personal. He does it right here. Why are you persecuting me? He could have answered, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting them. And he's like, if you're persecuting them, you're persecuting me. So Jesus takes it personal. And, and, uh, and, and we see a response here from, from Saul. And he said, who are you, Lord? And the interesting thing here is that when, when you read this, it's, he's not meaning Lord as in Jesus is his Lord. It, it actually could be translated, sir. Who are you, sir? Jesus isn't his Lord at this time. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. In verse 6, it moves on and it says, So he trembling and astonished. Of course, would you be trembling at this time? My goodness. I've, I have never had an encounter like this. I would imagine that there was no other way that God could get through to Saul than this. He wouldn't have heard a sermon Right? He wouldn't have been in church and just heard a sermon and had like a life-changing revelation from God as Pastor Jonathan was preaching. Right? It wouldn't have, wouldn't have been that. He wouldn't have had like a one-on-one -on -one coffee appointment with a disciple of Christ. There, there, there wouldn't have been any of, of that. It would, he would have had to have had a dramatic experience like this. You know, one of the number one ways Muslims are coming to know the Lord all over the world is because Jesus is showing up to them like he did to, to Saul. In dreams and in visions and, 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 and they're coming out of this, having an encounter with Jesus Christ. And what would take years and years of evangelizing a Muslim nation, people are coming to know the Lord in moments because Jesus is showing up to them. Just like this. I would imagine this would be the only way that you could get a hold of Saul. And so he does this. And of course he's trembling. Of course he's trembling. Lord, what do you want me to do? Saul said. Which would be an appropriate response. You're blind. You're on the ground. You're trembling. I'm sure he's afraid for his life. And the only thing that he can muster up to say is, Lord, what do you want me to do? What can I do here? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And then the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. I think about these, these men, I want, and I don't, I don't know, I just, I just wonder, I wonder if they got saved too. <laughs> they heard the same voice. I wonder about these men that were with Saul, and, and, and they took him by the arm. And I, I mean, if I were one of the men, I would have like tucktailed and ran, right? But somehow they just, uh, they, they heard the same message that, that Saul heard, and they, they picked him up by the arm, and they led him into Damascus, Again, they had to be a little bit nervous here, just a little bit afraid, and they take him to, to a home. We find out later that it's the home of a man named Judas. And Saul was without sight and neither ate or drank for three days. And, and I imagine that this was just an incredible time for Saul. He, uh, he was blind. He couldn't see. He was forced into a place of solitude. I think the Spirit of God was ministering to him. I think he was having conversations. I think all of the foundations of his uh, faith, uh, it wasn't all wrong. He had, he had grown up um, memorizing and learning um, Jewish law, the, the Torah, the, the Bible. He had, he had heard the stories of the prophets. So it wasn't all wrong. But now the Lord was shifting um, some of the things that were false that he had believed. And now he was bringing a revelation of Jesus Christ to him. 
And, and so he, for three days like this, and he was probably fasting. It's probably why he went without food or drink. It wasn't because he was sick. He was going without food or drink. I, he's fasting. He's having an experience with God, and he's three days in this home by himself in a city that was known to be full of followers of the way. It's interesting here. I just want to touch on it for a second. Most of us in our Western world and in my Western Christian Gentile mind, we see the story of Saul and we'll say something like this. We'll say, this is the story of, of Saul's conversion. And it's, it's accurate to an extent, but it's, but it's also false to an extent. And I, and I, want, I want to tell you why. Because when we think of, of the word conversion, and actually when you read the word conversion in the Bible, it's actually this word called um, metamorphosis, which means that he no longer was something and became something else. And so it's true in the fact that when we become a Christian, when we ask Jesus into our heart, how many know that the old is gone and the new has come? How many know that, that we are a new creature, that, that we are totally changed and, and, and we have become something else? But the danger when we're reading scripture like this and interpreting it is looking at that and thinking that, that Paul the Jew put aside his Jewness, uh, is that even a word, Jewishness, <laughs> and, and became uh, a Gentile. He, he, didn't, he didn't become a Gentile. He didn't stop being Jewish. He, he had a, a, a revelation. It's more accurate to say he turned to Jesus. And now... Everything that he knew growing up to this point all of a sudden had fresh new meaning. It, 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 all of a sudden, everything that he knew from reading the Old Testament and studying the prophets and growing up and, and learning and teaching, all of a sudden it was like revelation hit the scriptures like, like never before. It would be like a Christian who grew up in church but didn't actually know Jesus. I'd say Paul probably recited prayers, but he never really prayed. He probably talked about God but never really knew him. Uh, I mean, it, it happens in, in this church. In this church and in churches across the city and across America, there are people that, were, that, that, that knew about God as, as much. I mean, Saul was well-educated. He went to the best Bible schools. He had memorized uh, and by, by this time in Saul's life, he would have, had, he would have memorized the whole um, uh, first five books of the Bible. He would have memorized all of the prophets, all of the Psalms. He would have had this memorized. Any of you have like even a book of the Bible memorized? Any of you have like five scriptures memorized? Like this was a God-fearing God man, but didn't know him. He, he wouldn't have made it to heaven if he would have died right then. And I think that's just interesting as we look at this. this. This was a conversion if we're talking about a transformation of his heart. But it, was, but it was more of a turning to Jesus because he stayed Jewish. And you have to understand that because when he wrote half the New Testament, wouldn't it be good to know about the guy that wrote half the New Testament? And be able to lens everything you're reading about like First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and Romans and, and Ephesians and, be like, and, and know who this guy is that you're reading about? So it's just incredible to me. So we move on, and you thought this whole message was going to be about Saul, but it's not. As I was reading Acts 9, I wanted to preach about Saul, and so that's why I did a whole long intro. But I had to focus on this little-known character in the Bible named Ananias, because he's an all-star. Let's read. Acts chapter 9, verse, verse 10. It says this, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias! And he said, Here am I, Lord. And, and we have to stop here because uh, as I was reading, I, didn't, I almost missed this. And this was, there's such an incredible nugget of truth right here just in this first, just in this first verse. When, when Ananias, first of all, Ananias is, um, this is the only place in the Bible we, we even hear about him. There's one other place where his name's mentioned, and it's when, it's when Saul is talking about his story, and he mentions Ananias. But this is the only place Ananias shows up on the scene, is right here. The only place. 
He's, he's what Gay Tillotson was talking about a few weeks ago. That, that he, was just a, he was just an average, everyday, church-going, God-fearing believer. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an evangelist. He, wasn't, he didn't hold any like, official office in the church or anything. He was just Ananias. And I love that about him. He was just Ananias. The, the place in Scripture uh, uh, references him in, in Acts 22. It says this, then a certain, and Paul was talking. Paul was talking about his story. And, he, and Paul said this, then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. And so he was known to be a devout man. He was a, just a great Man of God, but he was just an average, ordinary disciple. And then the Lord spoke to him in a vision. And that's what we see here in this verse. And the reason why this stands out to me is this, because a vision from God normally comes while you're awake. Where dreams from God normally come while you're asleep. Does that sound like, like you know, profound? And so if he would have had a dream, he would have been asleep and the Lord would have shown up. I, I often find um, God speaking to me in dreams when, when it's hard for him to get a hold of me during the daytime. <laughs> Amen? Not always, but sometimes he gets a hold of me in a dream because I'm too busy during the day. <laughs> and so I see this vision from God comes. He's, he's awake. It tells me that Ananias was aware of what God was doing during the daytime. This average, everyday man of God that was just a church-going believer, something was about him was that he was doing what Pastor Bo was preaching about. He was, he was having consistent time in prayer and fasting and reading in the Word and staying aware of what God was doing. And because he was aware of what God was doing, all of a sudden God shows up in a vision and he recognizes it. Isn't that crazy? I love it. But the thing that really stood out to me in this verse was his response because he said this, here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. And, and it sounds so simple, and it, and it does sound, it's, it's a good phrase, but you have to study it a little bit deeper. In the original language, it, it actually says, behold I. And what it means is, is this. i, I got to read it because I'm not going to do it justice. It says this. It um, Oh, where am I? Oh, it says it means expressing ready and expectant submission to God. In other words, the first things that come out of his mouth when Ananias hears his name, Ananias, was a response that said, like, in almost in a militant way, give me my marching orders. Give me my assignment. Whatever you say, I'm, it doesn't even matter. I'm going to fall in line and walk in submission to what you say. It's really what Ananias, do you know that there's only four other places in Scripture where we see this expression? You want to know where we see it? Oh, oh, do tell me, do tell me. Oh, okay, I will. We see it with Abraham and Isaac when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. And remember, Ananias, this is just a, the average Joe at the church down the street. This wasn't Abraham. You see it with Abraham? You see it with Moses at the burning bush? You guys know that story? Probably didn't even know this guy's name. You see it as Samuel, the boy Samuel. You remember? Finally, Eli says, it might be God talking to you, Samuel. Go, you should read that story in the book of, of 1 Samuel. And what did Samuel say? Here am I. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. The, the, the same thought expressed here was, whatever you have to say, I'm going to do it. Is what Samuel said. You know, the, another, the, the, the last place was, was a guy, oh, just a, a little-known guy in the Bible named Isaiah. In chapter 6, when Isaiah is just gripped with the sovereignty and the bigness of God, he says, here am I, send me. Remember when God says, who's going to go for us? And so Ananias, with the same heart, the same expression that some of these forefathers of the faith had, had said before, before he even had his marching orders, Ananias says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yes, sir. I love it. And you move on to verse 11, and 
It says, So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And, in, and this is God talking. He's setting this whole thing up with incredible wisdom, by the way, as he's talking to Ananias. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him. So God's speaking to Ananias in a vision, telling him that Saul is also being spoken to in a vision. God's like working behind the scenes, figuring this whole thing out. And he saw a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. In other words, why don't we just leave him blind? Right? I mean, there's times if, if, if I were in the story. I don't know. Ananias is probably a little bit wiser than I am. But, but we see some points here. We see this, that there's a difference between um, questioning God for clarification and understanding and questioning out of unbelief, right? You see that different places in Scripture. You see that with, like, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and Zechariah, the, the father of, of um, uh, John the Baptist, right? Uh, they both kind of said something similar to the, to the angel, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, gets off the hook and is just fine, and Zechariah gets like he's mute for however many months. And because it, it's where does this questioning come from? Does it come from this heart that's just trying to understand for clarification because I want to obey you? Or a heart that says, you got to be joking. There's no way this could ever happen. And so you, you can question God. When, when God gives you an assignment, you can question, does it come from a place of clarification and understanding with a heart that before you even got the assignment says, here am I, send me? Or is it coming from a place of unbelief? That's the question here. Ananias questioned out of a place of clarification and understanding. He, he was well aware of what was going on. Ananias wasn't like, you know, uh, just a monk someplace in the mountains and, and had no idea what was happening like, to, the, you know, to the way, to the, to the Jewish community. He had no idea what was happening, right? It, that wasn't him. He knew he had heard the stories. He had, he had heard about Peter and John and the Sanhedrin. He had heard about how Peter and John said, no, we're going to keep doing this. He knew about, about Stephen being stoned. And, and he knew about all the persecution that was going on. And he had heard, he had heard the reputation of this man, Saul of Tarsus, who was arresting followers of the way. He knew about all of that. And so he just kind of in a, reminding God, hey, just out of curiosity, is this that same guy? Is this the same man that we should be a little bit nervous about? I, I wonder for us, I was thinking about any type of comparison. What could we like draw? And the only thing I could think of, uh, there's maybe a couple ideas, but one of them is this, is like, you know, this would be the equivalent of somebody that works for ISIS having a dramatic experience with the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, blind three days in some house, getting ministered to by Jesus himself. And across town, God's asking Bruce Hefley, somebody else, enter your name in a vision. Hey, Bruce, you know that guy that wants to kill you? You know that guy that hates followers of the way and wants to arrest and, you know, I don't know, in our day, uh, you know, blow himself up with a vest or, or do some, uh, drive some truck into a crowd of people and all. You know that guy? I actually have plans for that guy. And I'd really like you to go. Here's the address. Would you go to his house and minister to him? You think you might need just... Even if there was a heart of obedience, Lord, some clarification here, please. Is this that guy that, you, that just did the thing and 
in France? Is this that guy that did the, the thing in, in Orlando? Is this that, right? Is this that guy? I wonder for us, what about you? What about me? Who's the person or the type of person or the group of people that if God said, go and talk to them now, who would you need to have a little bit of clarification for in your heart before God? Who's the person or the type of people that's hard for you to minister to that God's saying, I need you to get over yourself, I need you to get over your fear, and I need you to love unconditionally regardless of the cost? That's what was happening here with Ananias. goes on, and in verse, verse 15, the Lord doesn't even respond to Ananias' question. He just continues on. And he says this. He says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And I love this in the wisdom of God because he needs Ananias to do this assignment. And so he has to start shifting things in Ananias' heart towards this man Saul. And what a better way than to show Ananias what God thinks about Saul. What a better way than start to show Ananias God's prophetic destiny for this man. Wouldn't that be a great way for us to pray for the people that we have a hard time with even, the people that we have a problem with, dare I say hate? Couldn't you start praying for them and just saying, Lord, would you give me your heart for them? Lord, if you could do anything you want with this person, what would you do? What if you started dreaming about their potential and, and, and what if God got a hold of that person? Maybe someone that you know, but what if it's somebody in the media or someone famous? And Lord, what if? What if you shifted everything in their heart and they started serving you and you started getting excited about that person's prophetic destiny if they would just say yes to Jesus? So God starts to share his heart and his plans for Saul with Ananias. He's going to preach to the Gentiles. He's going to preach to kings. He's going he's to preach to the Roman world. I mean, this is this guy. I mean, I, he's going to write half the New Testament. He's going to start the greatest mission movement ever in the face of the earth. There's going to be this ripple effect, and there's going to be churches that model their doctrine after the apostle Paul. Remember, nobody knows Ananias. This is just Ananias. Verse 17, and Ananias went on his way and entered the house. Do you think there was even a pause at the door? When he gets to the door, the, the Bible says it was the house of Judas, and this is a different Judas. That, this isn't the same guy that hung himself and this is a different Judas. I just wonder, I mean, because he's human. I mean, for me too. It's, it's not, not out of disobedience, but just out of a pause of, of, of realizing the awesome obedience that I'm walking in right now, that there's no turning back. When I open up this door, there's no turning back. Maybe you found yourself at a crossroads of obedience with the Lord. Unwavering obedience. He turns the knob and he walks in. And as he walks in, that's what the Bible says. And he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came. That obviously was a longer conversation that God had with Ananias, right? Because he knew about this whole vision and all this stuff. He has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so somewhere between Ananias' vision and just getting clarification from God if this, is, if this is who I'm supposed to minister to, somewhere between there and walking in the house where Saul was, there was a change of heart. There was a compassion and a love that came over Ananias. There had to have been because he calls him Brother Saul. He says, Brother Saul. And then you see what Ananias' assignment was. He, he was to lay hands on Saul so that he would receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is just Ananias. Did you ever wonder? 
Did you ever wonder about the Apostle Paul? You, you get like, like 1 Corinthians 13 and all the gifts of the Spirit. And you get all of the teaching of, of, of Spirit-filled people. And, and all, you get all this doctrine and theology from Paul as you read half that New Testament that you wrote. Did you ever wonder when Saul first encountered Holy Spirit? Have you ever wondered about that? Like, when did it happen for him? When was he baptized in the Holy Spirit? When was he empowered? It was right here with just Ananias. When just this faithful disciple with unwavering obedience came into that house on Straight Street, Judas's house, laid hands on Saul, and he received his sight, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He's just an ordinary disciple, walking full of the Holy Spirit. And he's laying hands on the man who would eventually become the Apostle Paul. Man. And the Bible says in verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, talking about Saul. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. There was evidence that Ananias walked in power, and the evidence was that as he laid hands on Saul, the scales fell from Saul's eyes. And then Saul was water baptized. It doesn't tell us here, but I assume, and it probably was, that Ananias baptized Saul. Isn't that just... To me, I just think, this is the Apostle Paul. Don't you think, like, Peter and John maybe should be in on this? Wouldn't you think, I mean, even one of the other lesser-known apostles, bring them here. Wait and, and, and get someone, one of these other guys, like, Ananias? Used by God to lay hands on Saul. He receives his sight. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he's baptized in water. And, and I'll just make a comment because the, the pattern in Scripture is that you're saved, you're baptized in water, and then you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But God sometimes likes to do things outside the box so that you just know that God can do whatever he wants to do. And without your opinion. And so right here, he breaks the rules. And Saul was saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then baptized in water. Go figure. I've preached the other way, and I saw this, and I'm like, well... All right, I'm not going to question you. It happened. Isn't that cool? So, Pastor Kelly, you can come and start getting ready here. What about us? How do we respond to this? Wow, that, that's one way. It's one way. <laughs> I'm back, guys. Sorry. How do we respond to this? I, I love that this relates to you and me. That we're all Ananias here. We're all Ananias. And what's the thing that God wants to say to you, even today, and for you to answer like Ananias said, Lord, here am I, send me. Because you know what? As we're talking about spirit-empowered, so we're talking about the evidence of being filled with the Spirit and all of the signs, wonders, and miracles and all this. You know one of the big things here is unwavering obedience. Are you that type of Christian? Are you that type of disciple that God could say anything to you and you say yes? He could say go and you say just how far? You could, he could say jump and you say how high? This, what if God asked you to do something? What if he asked you to go to the foreign mission field? Are you just going to go buy your passport or are you going to sit on that one? What if he wants you to talk to somebody or you think, man, I, I can't, I can't do it. I, I'm just, I don't have the words. I don't have the Bible college training. I don't have the, I, I don't know scripture. I'm not as articulate. I can't pray like you. And I'm like, what about Ananias? What about Stephen? What about all those deacons that Gabe preached about? What about all that? We don't get to get off the hook, guys. And so you got a choice. You could come here every week and sit in your same chair and never change. Or you can do something with what God's given you. So 
There's people that are baptized in the Holy Spirit and have their encounter and their experience and never do anything with it. And Ananias is sitting in his house full of the Holy Spirit because you can't give away what you don't have, right? He's full of the Holy Spirit. And he did something with it. So all over this room, Lord, would you just minister to hearts from my right to my left, every person at the sound of my voice, every person that hears this recording, every person in this building that hears in the speakers out in the foyer and along the sides. Lord, right now, Lord, we respond to your calling of a deeper, vibrant relationship with you. We respond to your calling of being full of the Holy Spirit and responding to, to what are we supposed to do with this? And Lord, that little voice maybe of Ananias that says, here am I, send me. You know, there's many ways that you can respond to this message. At, at, after worship here in a little bit, um, we'll just have time if you want to come forward and people can lay hands on you and pray and all that stuff. And, but we also wanted to try something out here that we have a your connect card. And some of you, maybe you're even more comfortable just in your seat. You want a pastor to follow up with you this week or you want somebody to to reach out to you by phone or email or something like this. And I'd like to know, is this, is this a day where you'd like to receive Jesus as your personal Savior? You could check that. And I'd like to know about that. I'd like to be able to follow up with you with information and, and talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You could check anybody needs to be water baptized. We talked about Paul being water baptized. You're like, I want to be water. You could check that. Maybe you've never, or to your knowledge, you've just never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you want to do that. You can do that today. You can come forward. But maybe you want to check that and have someone follow up with you. Or maybe there's an area of your life that you need freedom prayer. And we say freedom prayer, we mean there's something that you just, man, you've tried. You've been at the altar a hundred million times and, and you booger cried and you've done all this stuff and it still hasn't shaken and you need breakthrough in an area of your life and you want someone to partner with you. Check that. Put your name, your information on here. We're going to follow up with you. Drop that in the offering here in just a minute. Can I just invite our um, ushers to come forward? We're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Our elders are probably sweating, thinking I was going to forget today. Now we'd like you to be able to just reach into your pocket without any lights and just pull out whatever. Just pull out the first thing that comes out. <laughs> appropriate to just worship the Lord in a step of faith with our tithes and with our offerings and saying, God, we trust you. What an act of trust to take the thing that you worked so hard for this week, to take the, the thing that, that, that you put your blood, sweat, and tears in, in in your workplace and however you receive money, monthly, annually, whatever, and just say, God, I trust you so much that I'm going to obey you with my tithes and I'm going to give you offerings and I'm going to just know that your word is true, that you're going to multiply it back to me. And so, Lord, right now, would you bless 